The Old Testament reading, which is today's sermon text, is recorded in Isaiah chapter 4, beginning verse 2. The branch of the Lord. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy, all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle is recorded in Galatians chapter 3, beginning verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Here ends the Holy Gospel.
baby sister. Yeah, daddy will watch out for her. <laughs> See, all the kids are on vacation. Well, not quite. Emily's hiding. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, all both of you. I understand. Big group this morning. Oh, here we go. Well, it's summertime. And there's a big event that happens usually two, three times each summer. Weddings. Have any of you been in a wedding yet? No. Yes. You know what a wedding is like. Okay. Uh, the bride is supposed to be what? Well, let's see if you can figure this out. Pretend I'm the bride, all right? Now, I've got to fix myself up a little bit so that I look somewhat like a bride. Let's see if this is going to help. Is there anything about me now that doesn't look like a bride? Anything at all? Do brides have beards? No. Let's see, i make this look better then. Okay? Is that better? Well, if that's not good enough, brides always wear, what's this? A necklace. I hope it fits. I got a whole head of hair here now. Uh-oh. Something like that. Am I better? I'm trying to make myself look what? Pretty, thank you. <laughs> but now that doesn't always necessarily work. Maybe I'm a bride that has eye trouble. What do you think this is about? Maybe the bride has one bad eye, and she's blind, so you have to have this on. Okay, am I lo looking beautiful now? Okay, I'm going to fix it. This has got to be it. What's this stuff? Lipstick? So, does this help? Elliot is backing away. <laughs> Would anybody in their right mind say that I'm a beautiful bride? Anybody at all? <laughs> What's a word that you might use? Funny? What do you think, Emily? Hideous? Scary? Look like a clown? What we're going to learn today from the Old Testament is Jesus has a bride, and the bride is the church. That's us. And the hideous way that I look now is a picture of his bride, the church, because of our sins. Yet Jesus still accepts his bride as scary and 
funny and hideous as she might look at times, in Jesus' eyes, his church is always beautiful, and he always faithfully loves her. He even lays down his life for her on the cross, in spite of the way she looks, in spite of our sins. Okay, you can go back, and hopefully I can look somewhat back to normal again. Okay, so you can go back. It's okay, Elliot. <laughs> Am I getting most of it? Some of them? This side? Am I, I look pretty, pretty bad? Oh, now I'm getting a special wipe. Wow. Okay. This is actually in the text. It doesn't necessarily show up in English. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, the Old Testament reading may seem a bit odd and strange, but when you look at the original language in Hebrew, these terms and these pictures are actually tied to a bride. But as I showed the kids, the bride isn't very good here. It says, in that day. That's messianic. When the Messiah finally does come, this is the situation. He says, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious are the terms. Now, the branch is not referring to a branch on a tree. The Hebrew term here is referring to a little sucker root, an ugly, disgusting little sucker root that comes from the branch, from the lower part of the tree that's been cut off. Sometimes you see those in Michigan. They're ugly. That's the first picture you have of the Messiah. He is stick ugly. But that day is going to be beautiful and glorious. The term for beautiful really means like an ornament, like the best of wedding things to be wearing. Gold and silver and jewels is beautiful as an ornament and for glory. It's a technical term used of how the bride is supposed to be looking in all of her splendor and her brilliance, just glowing with happiness. I've seen it every time at a wedding, in all the weddings I've had. The bride is always the most happy. The groom is sweating because he seems to be the most concerned. But the bride, she's always glorious. 
and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Fruit of the land is one of the ways by which Israel could see that God was graciously taking care of them. You can look at Psalm 67 when you get home. How God brings forth the fruit of the earth is a way of demonstrating to his people that he loves them, he takes care of them, he feeds them. Every necessity is there because of his grace toward his people. And it says here that the fruit of the land or fruit of the earth will be, this one says, pride and glory. Something to be proud of. And glory, normally that comes from God himself. When the Messiah comes, even though he himself is ugly and he seems to be a sucker root, he starts to bring blessings to his church because he's taking her. It's this love that has nothing to do with how great she looks because she's not a looker at all. She's terrible. Lest you think this is strange, when you go home, if you can find the book of Hosea, you will notice that God told the prophet Hosea, first thing, go out and find a lady of the evening, literally a prostitute. This is to be a bride for Hosea. Unthinkable. This lady is disgusting. She is immoral. He goes out and finds a lady named Gomer. Not Gomer, that's Gomer Pyle. Gomer. And he loves her. God commanded Hosea the prophet to love her. He truly does love her, and there's three different children that are born to this very strange union. Gomer continues to be unfaithful. She continues to go a whoring around in the streets. She continues to be the same disgusting, rotten person possible. And yet, the prophet loves her. We're told by the prophet that this is a great symbol or picture for the people of his day, that the Lord God of heaven and earth is the faithful husband who takes as bride the most disgusting bride possible. Worse than anything you saw me wearing or how I looked clownish. This is the relationship between Christ the bridegroom of the church, and his people. It's sheer grace. Notice it will be pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. This is a technical term for people who barely make it through a siege. This is what's going to happen to Jerusalem toward the end. God will allow their enemies to come, completely strangle off the city. There'll be disease and sickness and famine. The people who are survivors in Jerusalem will look a lot like Holocaust victims by the time the siege is done. There's nothing beautiful about these survivors. Yet they are the ones who are still part of the bride of the Lord God of heaven. Those who are left, that is the remainders in Zion, that's again not a pretty tomb. And those who remain in Jerusalem, this is the off-scouring. This is the worst of the worst. 
Jeremiah tells us that some of these people survived and were remainders because they did disgusting things just to stay alive. Urine became a drink. There was nothing more. Children became food. Nothing more. They killed one another for any kind of sustenance. The remainders, the leftovers, those who are left behind in Jerusalem were the skags of the earth. That God should have any concern about them is astounding, and yet that's the picture here. God toward his people Israel, even the worst. It's also the picture of God's relationship toward us. If I really wanted to make a memorable sermon this morning, I should have used my stuff, including my wife's red lipstick, on every single one of us. Maybe we could have dolled up each other in the worst possible way. That's what we are. The scary, clownish, disgusting, funny, odd, terrible bride of Christ. And yet in spite of all this, he still loves us and he gives his son as the bridegroom. Can you have a wedding actually with somebody looking as bad as I looked? A bearded lady of all things, that's meant for a circus. How is it possible that God gets his bride ready so that he doesn't become a laughingstock? Notice in verse 4, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem. This first part is talking about baptism. God did to you what you could never do for yourself in the waters of baptism. You cannot take away a single sin, but in baptism God gives you the promise of the forgiveness of sins for a lifetime. And that other term that's used here, the cleansing is referring to a constant rinsing until something does become clean again. Jesus receives us in our disgusting, sinful nature, but he does something to us in holy baptism. Baptism should remind you what Christ did for you on the cross. In Romans 6 and Colossians 2, it says that in baptism we were crucified, dead, buried, and raised again with Christ Jesus in holy baptism to walk with God in newness of life, cleansed. We become God's precious bride because of baptism. It says by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of fire. That doesn't sound very good. And indeed it isn't. And it only makes sense when you see it in terms of the cross. The spirit of judgment. Where did your judgment fall? It falls on the Son of God who loves you as he's on the cross. And the spirit of fire, literally the burning. That's a picture of hell itself the fires of hell. When Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's going through all the fires of hell itself 
for us, for his bride, the church. Baptism has its power because of what Christ did at the cross. In baptism, that beautiful judgment for sin, which is paid for, and the full fires of hell that Christ endures, this saves us, and it's brought to us at the cross. Then what? Those of you who are married, do you remember your wedding night? Well, somebody please nod. We're not talking about the activity that you had fun together doing on your wedding night. I'm talking about the place where you went on your wedding night. Some of you checked into very nice hotels. I've heard other stories about people that checked into some cheap motel along the side of the road. I've heard camping stories. All sorts of things can happen next. In the good old days, when I got married, we had our first wedding night in an old beat-up camper. How's that? Where does the church have its wedding night? Where does the church have its first experience of being with Christ, the perfect bridegroom? We're told, then the Lord will create over all Mount Zion. Notice create, that's something no man can do. Create is something only God can make out of nothing. He will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who are assembled, that is his church, once disgusting, now cleansed, a cloud of smoke by day and the glow of a flaming fire by night. Remember from the Old Testament when God brought Israel through the waters of the, dead, of the Red Sea? Before that event and after that event and for 40 years until they crossed over into the Promised Land, what was there with them at all times? The pillar of cloud and fire which canopied over them. The church has its first night and indeed its entire life under the powerful, loving protection of Christ Jesus, the Redeemer, at all times. The Word of God reminds us that this is the reality in spite of what dangers we think we may see. This is a picture from the Old Testament and then he goes further. Over all the glory will be a canopy. The glory is here referring to not something you see, but hakavod is referring to God himself. He is the glory or the glorious one. He is always with you no matter where you go or how far you may go astray. He is always your glorious one. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who is with us at all times. I am with you always, he says, to the close of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the glory, Christ himself, who is always with us. And this glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place
from the storm and the rain. This is again that picture from the Old Testament, not merely a pillar of cloud and fire that gave them light and direction, but it spread out above them. It canopied over them. It showed God's protection and his power as he is loving and watching over his people. Now, some of you may say, yeah, but I've had a really tough life. I've had people do things to me. I've had disasters in my life, lots of pain and trouble and even my own family. You might seem to think that none of this can be true. But again, remember the Old Testament. They had challenges all the way along those 40 years. Israel often grumbled at God for all the things that they thought were dangerous. Yet God was always there, tenting, canopying over them. They were never in any danger. His love, his faithfulness was always there. Even though his bride in the Old Testament did nothing but complain and grumble and grouse and at times think that they should have stayed back in Egypt with the false gods. But God remains faithful in his love. This picture in this summer season, that of a wedding, should remind us from Isaiah's words just how much God loves us. At times we can be very ugly, selfish, hideous, mean. And at times we don't look like the bride of Christ at all. But salvation doesn't depend on how we look. It depends on how Christ sees us as his beautiful bride. His love is what saves us, cares for us, and brings us into eternal life. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.